for coming along and riding this train I call Conversations with Calcaterra and have a great guest today, the composer, performer, songwriter of the song you heard, Lucky Sevens. That's from the Incurables from the album Songs for a Blackout. I just, I love that album and I uh, just love this guy, Jimmy Griffin. He's uh, an amazing guitarist, songwriter. You might know him from El Monstero or Celebration Day, uh, some amazing tribute bands. El Monstero's killing it. They have a show coming up uh, within the recording of this podcast or the release. Uh, um, so check them out. Check the listings. They have a couple of shows a year. They're always big shows. I have not seen one yet, but I am planning on changing that. So it's one of those things that uh, I've just never gotten around to doing it. But uh, amazing, amazing, amazing. I followed them, and I know what they're doing there's a documentary about about it, and uh, can't say enough about Jimmy and all his musical endeavors over the years. So just really happy to have sat down and spent some time with him at uh, the School of Rock in St. Louis. He's teaching kids how to play music, teaching adults how to play music. Just a, an amazing guy. I want to thank Dr. Mark Hollins always for uh, his sponsorship of the program. And uh, Dr. Mark Collin, you'll find all his information on the show page, so check that out. I'm not going to throw those numbers out for you to memorize them. It's the internet, so just go click it, check it out. Go to Facebook. He has a a Facebook page there, websites, all that good stuff. Mike Albashan of Premier Insurance. Talk to Mike about getting some quotes. Uh, He deals with many insurance companies, so he can find you the best price, so check out Mike. And then Stephen Walden at StephenWalden.com. And as I record this, Stephen is in Cleveland at a huge sports show. Follow him online, social media, all that. He's doing amazing things and just a great guy to, to follow and just... You know, great quotes. We'll get some Bob Ross quotes on his Instagram. Just, just a great dude. So check him out, stephenwalden.com. Sign up for my mailing list at kencalcaterra.com and get a chance to win a Stephen Walden print. So I'll have a few of those. I'm just uh, a little behind on things, so figuring out the date of that. But you sign up on the mailing list, I'll put you in like a digital drawing-type apparatus application, and uh, that'll pick a random winner. And then we'll figure out how to get you that print. Either either mail it to those out of town or, or drop it off to those in town. Um, yeah, that's that. Ken Calcaterra is my name. Conversations with Calcaterra is the show. And uh, you can follow me on social media at Ken Calcaterra on Twitter and Ken Calcaterra. Just Google me or go, go to my website and there is the... Um, the hub that's the hub for all my social media so yeah if you uh you know telling stories with video telling stories listening to stories you know putting those out there with the podcast and uh you know photography and things like that so love to create love to create something with you hopefully uh maybe get a chance when jimmy starts writing again and putting together new projects maybe uh maybe he'll do something with the incurables uh it'd be cool to see some more video work with those guys he just you know great presentation awesome dude so here he is the one the only jimmy griffin all right we are here at the school of rock jimmy how you doing buddy how are you doing sir wonderful wonderful so what would uh what did you do tonight who'd you teach uh well this evening is the school of rock adult jams and uh myself and mr john Pisoni. Uh, who is I play in Celebration Day with and El Monstero uh, as my co-instructor. Um, and it's a bunch of grown-ups, you know, that, that like to get out and, and play rock and roll. It's really fun. And they get to do it um, 
I consider them luckier to be with John than with me because he's the the better of the two of us musically. But um, I think one of the things I've always dug about music is is how much you dig music. Like it's got a sh- you've got to love to do it uh, if you want anybody else to to be interested in you doing it because there's a lot of people that that do it great. So you have to have to try and do stuff. It's fun. It's fun. It's a good time. Definitely. So with the adult night, even someone like me. I, I could learn eventually and play yeah. a few jams. All yeah, right. yeah. It's all. It's like it's people that man. I always wanted to be in a band, but yeah. I just never had the time. And then at this stage of the game, if you've never done it before, it just seems daunting to like have to like find a place to practice. And then this guy and everybody has things that are moving in their lives, mm-hmm. and it doesn't always work out. You know, when you're 16, you know, I'll hang out in the same room mm-hmm. for a week. You know, and <laughs> nobody cares. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at, at this age, things have to be a, a bit more regimented and scheduled. You know? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, you just had a big birthday party at the uh, Delmore Hall. Uh-huh. How'd yes. that go? I missed it. I apologize. Oh, I had a couple right. things going. And actually, I was thinking, all right, I want to go to this. And I waited too long, and it sold out. So mm. that's what happened. Uh, I was <laughs> Man, it was a blast. Um, it was funny. I had a couple of people say that uh, it was nice to see those bands in a totally stress-free environment, you know, usually with with Celebration Day or, or Elmon, that there's um, there's a whole bunch of other moving parts mm-hmm. that are a, not a part of the music, um, and uh, you know, with with this was just like let's just get up there and play and have fun, and it doesn't matter if anybody plays wrong notes or it doesn't matter if. Uh, because there's no lighting cues, there's no. Let's just play this, these songs and have a good time. And that's that's so what the birthday party was. Little stripped down version. Yeah, yeah, and just loose and, yeah. and and like just a bunch of dudes playing instead of a thing. You know, like what um, what a band and what uh, those kind of things can uh, can make less musical. You know, uh-huh. and just to have fun and play the music part sounds good. That's cool. And to get into the thing. So one of the big things that you have is El Monstero, mm-hmm. which uh, another thing I, I haven't seen. <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, it's good good to have different things to look forward to in life. So, oh, uh, totally. So hopefully you don't start doing it soon so <laughs> I, I can get out. So, yeah, I'll have to put that on my list sooner than later. Right. But when did uh, – well, see, speaking of, so you're doing that big. Right. So it's nice. I mean, I've seen a lot of incurable shows, which I love. Oh, thank you. And uh, it's one of my favorites. That was the other part about the birthday show is the incurables hadn't played in a year and something. So we got we did a nice long set and we did uh, a couple of incurable songs with just me and a string quartet. Uh, that was really fun. Oh, that's um, super cool. Yeah, yeah. It was that uh, I got to play Eleanor Rigby with a, even though Eleanor Rigby was actually an octet. Uh, we did a quartet, and it was it was one of the coolest things I've gotten to do on a stage. It was a good time. Well, it's nice to to add something to it. Mm-hmm. To uh, yeah, just have that nice element. So with the El Monstero shows, it's for for those who don't know that are listening. I think a lot of people in St. Louis know, but uh, you know, there's others that listen. But it's a, a Pink Floyd tribute, mm-hmm. and it's just like just a grand scale. And it seems like every year you guys add something to. I mean, even though I haven't seen it, I've followed it uh, right. enough to know and that mm-hmm. it just gets bigger and bigger every year. You change it up and you have something else that's cool that, that gets into the mix. Yeah. Just talk about that experience and, and having a show like that. We always say it's the the monster truck version of Pink Floyd. It's the American 
Uh, it's if Pink Floyd had seen a Kiss concert before performing Pink Floyd, because uh, that's where we come from. Uh, and uh, the most of the guys in the band, or all the guys, or except Jake is a kid. Uh, but the, everybody else is kind of in that same ballpark, and we all grew up liking the same things. Um, so stylistically, it's a bit more... Um, uh, it's a bit more direct uh, than uh, so it's it's just a great time I love doing it um, it's great music uh, it goes across uh, we have you know kids and their grandparents at these shows um, we have these are records that people have that have resounded with people for decades you know that people have a really uh, close sense of this music um, so for us it's um, it's just great to be able to to get people to that place through that those songs, and they have enough of a catalog that we can we're still going to play the songs you want to hear, but we can also dive pretty deep in. Like if you really, really, really like Pink Floyd, we're going to play one or two songs that you're going to go, I can't believe they did that song. You know, and the the other ninety percent of the people are not going to have any idea what's going on, but they might go home and listen to that song and go, "I never heard they played some song I never heard it before," and that and we've done that with there have been a couple of songs uh, that just kind of locally or regionally that I think we've kind of dragged out into the light um, that were great songs always, and the people that really loved Pink Floyd knew those songs, but we try to be uh, you know a good curator for the for the catalog and i think it's great i love it to hear deep cuts for different bands that that i i really dig that i've listened to years and years because it just when you hit the hear the greatest hits all the time it just gets it gets old and you just get kind of numb to it yeah well that's that's, even though they're great songs yeah that's one of the things with it this is this winter will be the 20th year for this holy i i man i'm losing track of time yeah the 20th year (laughs) wow um so you know you can't you can't just come out and play the wall and dark side and say goodnight every year or that you know people are like i know exactly what they're gonna do and i think that's one thing this band does is kind of uh is again keep that kind of spirit alive and that pink floyd was a, a band uh, and i'm not comparing us to pink floyd being a band that's playing their music but what i am saying is um uh, you know there was a there's a depth to it and i think musically we play those songs like us um and that's what makes it not so like by the book and and wrote and i think that's kind of why people keep coming back cuz they like the guys in the band and they like the and the girls that sing with us and the people that hang from wires and the people that make the movies that play behind us and all that whole all that stuff just comes from uh, from us being a band emulating another band, you know, wearing their skin. But it's our skin is underneath. <laughs> yeah, but what I think projecting your love for the songs, projecting your own artistic um, you, you know, seeing it through your the your artistic lens, mm-hmm. um, you know, having the carnival esque atmosphere. I mean, that definitely creates an experience, and that's, right. I think, what going to a concert is all about—to have that unique experience. So it's yes. pretty sweet. 
Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Kevin uh, Kevin Gagmahane, the bass player, is kind of the architect of of some of the higher concept stuff. And then Wall, uh, everybody, you know, Bill does the movies. Um, uh, everybody kind of has their own, you know, Pasoni's kind of the musical director. Um, everybody has a spot in it, you know, where they get to contribute and uh, everybody has ideas and, and they get to be passed around. And I think that's what's another thing that's fun about is you're getting all those different perspectives um, that, again, make the show weird or, you know, some of this, like there was the first year we had the aerialist and I thought it would be a really Pink Floydian thing to do to at the end of her routine, she was climbing up into the rafters at the pageant, and then there's ways to get down from up there. And I was like, man, you know what would be great is if she climbed up in the rafters, we start the next song, and we drop a dummy, and then don't react when it happens. And all the guys in the band were like, no, we're not going to freak people gonna out. <laughs> have somebody have a heart attack in the pageant. Or, you're nice. You know. you know, people are having a nice mellow vibe. You know, it's Pink Floyd mm. is, I mean, Grant, your version seems, you know, Pink Floyd on, uh, I don't know, meth or <laughs> something. But uh, maybe something uh, <laughs> steroids, but somewhere between meth and steroids. First thing that came to my mind. Right. But uh, yeah, and but it is the Midwest, so yeah. Because I found it, you know, Pink Floyd was a band I always respected, mm. but maybe it was just listening to Casey and hearing Money too many times, right. and it kind of burned me out. Mm. Um, but uh, and I and I guess there was just a lot of other bands that I listened to. Um, yeah, you know, I was a big Van Halen fan. I was a huge um, Van Halen. Love Van Halen. Yeah. Um, you know, did listen to a bit of Kiss, but didn't get into Kiss until the '80s Kiss, which was oh, my Kiss. But, no, but you know, I mean, was, <laughs> that's, that's some of the worst Kiss. <laughs> but then I went backwards. But there were some fun albums. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of nice to discover those things. And Floyd was just a band that I, I liked, but never was just like a. Just, yeah, I gotta listen to Floyd. Right. Although I want to sync up Dark Side with, uh, since I have the editing equipment with Wizard of Oz, I to, have not done that. Before I was in the band, they used to play that during Dark Side. Uh, and I never, I can't remember ever seeing it and going, oh, dude, that's totally it. You know, it all makes sense now. Yeah, it's just something, you have, I, it's that urban legend, I guess, or that, mm. that thing, and I've never tried it. So it's another thing I'll have to check out and, yeah. and see what it's all about. Exactly. Uh, well, when did you, so how, how many years were they playing before you joined? Uh, I joined in 2006, so I guess it was uh, at least, it was six years in, I think. Okay. All yeah, right. I, I want to say I've been in it for 12 or 13, I think. I don't know. Yeah. I, but I think I joined in 2006. Okay. So... Um, I'm trying to think. At 2006, that was around the time when when the Incurables started, correct? Or uh, yeah, right around. Okay. I, a whole bunch of good stuff happened for me, like in that in that year. Um, uh, my wife and I got married. Um, or I don't. I can't. Remember. We got married in 2006. So yeah, like I was. It was the previous Christmas. I was still not a member of El Monstero. I was a side guy. And I would like sing cigar and play guitar on money. And I was sitting, we were sitting in the dressing room and Favaz was talking to John Pisoni. And he said, man, this tribute stuff is pretty cool. You should do a Led Zeppelin one. Cause he knows how much John loves Zeppelin. John's like, yeah, man, but like, who am I going to get to play guitar? And I'm sitting over in the corner 
and I was like, hey, man, I'll play, I'll play Led Zeppelin songs. And I didn't know John that well. I just knew him from doing that. I, you know, the urge was, he was, we're, slight, we're separated by a few years. Uh, so I was already out the door um, in, in the terms of cool when John was coming in the door to be cool. Uh, so we kind of missed each other other than we did this thing. So he's like, yeah, let's give it a shot. And we had Mark Quinn in common, uh, and through rehearsing with them, getting the celebration day gig together, we became friends. And when the, when the position opened up in El Monstero, um, they knew me from this and they're like, Hey, let's give Jimmy a shot. And it wound up working out. And like all that stuff happened in that same like amount of time and it's really weird and goofy and uh but i think it's one of those it's one of those things that keeps me going you know to like if you keep working keep trying stuff keep doing things you're gonna wind up in the right place the right for something you know not everything Mm -hmm. you're gonna miss stuff and i've i've been you know told i wasn't the guy for things and that happens so you just all you do is you go to the next thing, you know, find the right one. That's the thing with, with all that when you talk about two thousand six, just all that energy. When the energy is really flowing, it's uh, that's when you know a lot of things manifest. Yeah, well, it, like I said, it was just a whole bunch of things on top of each other. It just was one of those. And I have years that were did not go like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I have a lot more of those, <laughs> but that's one of those ones when I look back that's and cool. go, you know, that was a that was a good year, you know, so. And you have those, and then you have ones that aren't. aren't. <laughs> so let's go back in time. So the, the first time I had met you, it was at uh, Christmas Eve at my uncle and aunt's house. Um, you, it was you were like the first. I think I was. It was eighty nine. So this was King of the Hill. Oh wow! Okay. And uh, you were wearing the snakeskin boots, and you had the you know whole rock star. <laughs> get, you know, and wait, where is this? Th- this was at uh, Jim and Barbara Keefe's house. My uncle. Oh and yeah. Oh okay, yeah. yeah. And you know, I didn't know you, and I was like, who's that guy? Okay. And my cousin's like, oh, yeah, Jimmy Griffin, he's in uh, uh, Kiss Band, King of the Hill. And I hadn't really, I mean, I've listened to music, didn't go to a lot of concerts, but it was right. like, whoa. <laughs> you know, it was like super cool. So here we are in my aunt uncle's living room. And like, you right. definitely stood out because right. everybody else, you know, the normal yeah. Christmas yeah. sweaters and you, yeah. the rock star regalia was, mm. it was killer. And so then I think that weekend, my cousin and I, uh, Joe, went to, um, Whatever, whatever mall it was, maybe it was Crestwood Mall, okay. and I was like, all right, I have to get the King of the Hill CD, and I just, I loved it, man. There's oh, nice. a lot of great songs on there. Roses, that's that's one of my favorites. Yep, yep, yeah. We did, uh, we did a gig. Uh, uh, Frank and Veed and George and I played. Was it last October? I think, or last November? Was yeah. that Delmar Harlow's Wall? Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we had a good time, man. It's fun. It's, uh, it's so weird because uh, the last time we played together. Like when it was a real thing, we played in 2005, uh, and I don't think any of us except for Vito had kids at that point. But now we're like all dads with like pretty young kids for as old guys as we are. It's gonna be me too. <laughs> if I if I have kids, I'm gonna be in that same boat. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, I never, uh, I never had one prior to this because I didn't want to do it unless I was gonna do it the way I'm doing it right now. Like the, everything has. Uh, I have enough time where I can be with him through all this stuff. Uh, we don't do daycare or anything. And I, no, I have no problem with people that do. I would probably get a lot more accomplished if we did that. <laughs> um, but 
uh, and he'll be in school in two years, and then I won't, you know, I won't see him half the day anyway. And these years are important. Oh, totally. When he gets that, if he's yeah. playing instruments, if he's around instruments, it's it's amazing. So I met him at uh, at Songbird Cafe when you were playing there. So uh-huh. Steve has been on the podcast as well, and oh, just okay. I've known him for years. Great, great guy. Yeah. Uh, and you were just just to see the energy. And just, you, you know, you were just, you were like a kid when you talked about him. And mm-hmm. so I was watching the show. Mandy was there, I was sitting next to him. It was great. Yeah. It yeah, was uh, a blast. Yeah. Man. And it's just great to see that that energy and you're able to do that mm-hmm. and spend that time with him. So it's yeah. it's nice that you can still create your art. You well, know, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> well, you're still at least you're at right. least expressing yourself as far as playing. You're doing things like teaching. Yeah, so you're still... Yeah, yeah. Music is still a big part of your life, is yes, what I'm saying. Is. So yes, maybe you're not writing right now, right, but yeah. you're still, as a musician, able to do that, plus you know, raise your son. Yes, yes, that I'm able to do. I bet it's um, like for, for a guy that had nothing but time for decades. <laughs> I wasted so much time. Me too, um, man. It's crazy. But uh, But to now, with the minimal amount of time I have... Um, it's it's just so hard to like, because that would be a week, you know, writing a song. Uh, now there'd be a part of it that came out in twenty seconds, but it'd be a, a not having a. I mean, you'd be up until four in the morning or or whatever, and just you had to get this thing out. And now it's like, man, I gotta write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta throw that on tape, or so I'll yeah. come back to it, you know. And she just. Uh, We'll see what happens. I feel I've I've got some stuff that I've been kind of jerking around with. Um, at some point in the last ten years, I went from my digital recorder that was old, you know, that I knew exactly how it worked and I could do whatever yeah. I wanted, uh, to Pro Tools, and I spent about I lost about two years of why can't I, I'm just trying to play acoustic guitar? It doesn't work. Why? Um, you know, so I lost a whole bunch of time trying to figure that out. I've just gotten to a point where when I sit down at a computer, which I'm also not cool with, uh, I can almost make it do what I want to do and things are working. So as I'm creating, I'm able to get them and not sit there and go, why is the red light not coming? What's going on? Why is this? Mm -hmm. Then you don't. Oh, that's the worst feeling, man. It kills your creativity. So I'm (laughs) just now kind of... Destroys the vibe. Yeah, yeah. I'm just (laughs) getting to this point where I, I feel like... They're both coming together, and um, I love. I mean, that's still my favorite thing about playing music is playing my own music. Um, so I'd love to get back out and do it some more. Right on. Was was King of the Hill? Was that your first band, or uh, no? What was, was the first? I guess notable band. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a um, the band that I used to play with well, my high school band was a band called front runner. Um, with a gunch, bunch of guys from Lindbergh and like Pat Cunningham is still a guy that plays and Steve Allen, uh, Sean Andre was in that band after me. Uh, but, uh, we did that and I went from that to, um, a band of guys that were all like 23 or 24 years old that found me at animal house. Uh, and, had to like meet my parents. I was still a senior in high school. And so I was my, I don't know how my parents let me do it, but they did. And I would work from 
you know, we play from nine to one. I didn't have to break down. This is back when bands carried their own PA and their own light show and stuff like that. So you would get there at five o'clock and you would get home at three in the morning. And they were like, well, Jimmy's allowed to leave the gig as soon as it's done. So like I said, I kind of went straight from high school into like a bar. Um, and that band was called Intriguer. Uh, and I was with them for a little while. And then there was like, uh, uh, I was in a band with little John Polizzi for, uh, you know, these are, you gotta be my age to know these names or older. Uh, and then, uh, and then I got with, uh, Frank and Vito and we started broken toys and that was like 1987, I think. So yeah, a couple of, you know, and all those bands played four nights a week. So we worked all the time and that was, I would teach guitar. I lived at my mom and dad's. I would teach guitar from three in the afternoon until eight o'clock at night. And I would book over to wherever I was playing and then play from nine to one in the morning. And that was, I did that four or five days a week. Um, And that's where I really kind of learned how to do, that was all the building blocks for what I've been doing for the last 30 years. So it was a good time. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. And then after that, oh, by the way, I saw Will Pelly today. Mm-hmm. So it kind of segues into... Uh, <laughs> uh, now, That's a little further down the line, but yeah. So what was after King of the Hill then? Um, after King of the Hill, uh, I moved to Miami, Florida uh, to be in a band with uh, Matt Kramer from Saigon Kick ah. and Alex Kane from a band called Life, Sex, and Death, uh, which if you've never heard of those guys, you should check them out. They're pretty fun. Um and it was this idea and all these guys, uh, Matt had just left Saigon kick and Alex and my band had both been dropped. So we're, you've like, I was 23 and was out of a job and we'd, you know, that was all I'd ever done. And like, you're done. This is it. You're over. So we, we, we hung out and played for about another year after that. And then this offer from Matt came and it was, you know, Hey, it's all these guys from this, these cool bands and we'll get a deal in five minutes. And then it was not, <laughs> it was not, uh, it was, it was rough. I was telling somebody my 25th birthday was spent because my girlfriend and I had broken up. So I was living in the band's rehearsal space and I had a TV with rabbit ears on it that would get channel five or whatever NBC was. And I would sleep on this couch that was underneath a giant PA speaker it was standing on some wood that the guys I was playing in a band with had put together and I would sleep underneath this thing and I would just pray. I remember just praying that it would just fall on me in my sleep and kill me. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, man. So that was one of the down years you spoke. About. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Showering with a hose in an industrial complex. <laughs> there was sneakers. And... It makes a great story. Uh, yeah. You know, when you're 25, you can like, that would not be cool yeah. now. I couldn't do that yeah. now, you know, but when you're, when you're young and crazy, it seems to make sense. Definitely. And, the, 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 you know, the dream is still there. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, anything can happen. And mm-hmm. and that's the crazy thing about the music industry. And it gets a lot of people. And I would be, I'm curious to know how it was with, with King of the Hill. But you get this big advance. You think, like, we made it. And then a lot of that we didn't money. We get any of that money. Goes into that. What, I mean, what was it <laughs> no, like? No, we when, didn't. We actually, um, we had uh, a manager. And it was basically a manager team. So uh-huh. it was a, a woman named Lynn who booked uh cicero's 
and uh, Sean Jacobs, who owned Cicero's. And they were our managers, and they wound up getting us. We signed this big, huge contract. It was like 30 pages. I'd never, I was like, whatever. We signed it. My dad <laughs> said, Jim, don't sign this. It's really bad. And I was like, Dad, you don't know how the music industry works. Oh, oh, no. Boop, boop, boop. Give me a pen. So, um, uh, we, you know, we signed this thing. And it was all under the contingency that if we got a record deal, we'd have to pay them back. And we thought, well, if we get a record deal, we're going to be rich anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just give them the money then, you know. We'll have plenty of money. It's rock and roll. They're (laughs) handing out money in the streets. So um, so anyway, we, uh, we got signed... And we were into him. Now we made videos. We bought equipment. Like we were taking money from him like crazy uh, for stupid stuff. You know, I want that. Get it. You know, boom. And you're 22. You're not thinking about anything. So we're into him for um, almost as much as our advance was. And it was right after we signed that we were like, hey, you know what we should do is get rid of this manager guy thinking that we could do that because we'd been out to Hollywood and we met some like Hollywood manager guys like you guys need to be with us because we was you know and you go oh yeah that's this guy knows what he's talking about he's got a suit um so we we were like hey we'll fire our manager that's easy right (laughs) oh and you get even more papers huge he was suing us for like uh, it was a good and I remember the packets would show up and they would send them and they were gigantic and uh, and he got all of our advance and the only other money we ever would have had was a, uh, a merchandising advance from a for t-shirts and stuff he got that too so we got, after we signed our record deal we had nothing oh man nothing at all um, and luckily, we were on a label that, A, had never worked with a rock band before. I mean, the people that worked there had worked with rock bands. But, like, we were on SBK Records, which was, first and foremost, Vanilla Ice. Okay? They bought that record for, like, $50,000 and sold 14 million of them. All right, so there was just money falling out of the <laughs> AC vents in that building. Uh, they had them. They had uh, Technotronic, which is the pump up the jams. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Wilson Phillips. Okay, yeah. Um, there's, I know there's somebody else that was. Uh, I want to say CNC Music Factory was. It was all that, that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. And uh, and we were this rock band, and they were nice enough to go. Well, these guys, you know. They need some money. They don't have any money. So they, they were giving us, it, and it was like, I want to say it was like 1500 bucks a month, which back then was like, I mean, my rent was 200 bucks. So Yeah, different times. Yeah. And gas was, I think, like still 50 or 60 cents. Oh, yeah. Or something. Was, yeah, so they were paying us like a stipend kind of thing. And uh, and then, yeah, when that stopped, that was a, that was a harsh day, you know. Um, but yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's a good story. It's a good preventative story. We can like, look back at it and laugh now. Yeah. You know. Listen to the guy that knows business, right. even, oh, if, yeah. even if he's your dad. Just yeah. like take a second. And- well, you know, the, I've I've gone back and forth, and I've talked to the guys in the band about this. 
if we hadn't have taken the money that we took from him to make the videos that got us the record deal, we wouldn't have gotten to do any of that stuff that we got yeah. to do. So then it gets into is the experience worth the lack of monetary return? Mm -hmm. Like I would not take back that time if I wound up with another $25,000 that I didn't have, you know, like that was, um, you know, I got to travel all over. We went to Europe a bunch of times. We, um, I have a lot of friends that have signed record deals that don't have the kind of stories and, and experiences that we had and some of the places we got to play and, um, you know, all that stuff was just huge. And that's why people go crazy when it ends because you don't want like that's it's the thing you've worked for your whole life. And if you actually get to do it, uh, even at the level that we got to do it, um, you know, that's that's why a lot of kids pick up a guitar or drums or whatever in the first place. Yeah. So yeah, it was basically it is not making any money worth getting to do a bunch of cool shit. And I'll take that. I'll take the latter. Right on. So yeah, good stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so after the super group in Miami, what was, uh, did you um, come back to St. Louis? Yeah. Then I came back here and I moved back here because I couldn't, I like Florida. Uh, I moved from, <laughs> uh, from Miami, uh, to uh, Ocala, Florida, and there's like no, you you just can't make. You, there's no. The, the closest gig. Uh, this is a good one. Was a place called Buddy's Tavern. It was like 30 miles away, and they had a um, a General Lee in the front yard of the place. Dirt floor, <laughs> dogs walking around, yeah. and uh, they had auditions for a country band, and it was a guitar player, and they were doing it on the gig. So you came down to the gig. And you, uh, you played with the band and played a couple of songs. And so I came in to do this and I was just terrible. I, I learned like the rock stuff. They also did like, you know, Leonard Skinner songs, uh -huh. like a free song and stuff like that. So I learned that stuff and maybe one of the country songs. And, uh, we played for a little while and Buddy was not the owner, but he was there so much. He was kind of the musical barometer of the place. So... The waitress walks up after about two songs and, and leans in and she says, um, Buddy says too much rock. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to play like the country song and we get done. And, and the guy after me gets up there and he's got like a cool, stinky Telecaster and like a solid state amp and goes right into swinging doors and the place goes bananas. And I know that I'm not going to get this gig. And, and the guys were really nice to me and they... They were helping me carry my 412 cabinet that I brought to my country gig uh, out to the car. And the, the drummer goes, man, Jimmy, you're a fine guitar player, boy, but um, you just ain't country. <laughs> I was like, man, you know what? You are dead. I don't know what I was thinking doing this. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then anyway. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I left Florida to come back here to be able to play and make some money. Um, and uh that's when I just started, you know, again, there was a bunch of, there's a lot of covers and that's, that's what you do around here to, to get paid is, is, uh, play covers. And so we did that and there was who's your buddy and, uh, neuter the stupid was pretty fun. Uh, that was 
uh, myself and Jeff Gallo and Eric Lysett, uh, and Vito was in that at the beginning. Um, and we played 80 songs, but like with no keyboards. And this was, this is like, I want to say 1997, 98. So it was before the eighties were kind of really cool again. And we just thought it was hilarious. Like, we'll just play them like rock guys. And that's what we did. And we played all, we played the Go-Go's and Aha and all those songs. But like, uh, like if Hum played them, you know, <laughs> so it was, it was, it was fun. All right. So that's 97. I think mm -hmm. 2000 is probably when uh, Neptune Crush was 2000, right? What, 2004? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I was out of, yeah. Uh, yeah, there was Neptune. Well, there was Full on Venus, and then there was Neptune Crush, and Full on Venus was with Jeff and myself and Eric, and then Neptune Crush was myself and Eric and a guy named Tony Pearson who used to be at Radio Iodine. Uh, that's how that started, and then it was always Eric, and then Will came into that band after Tony left. So that's how I know Will. And Will's just a phenomenal guy. Yeah. Just uh, dude, if you would have told me when I knew Will that he was going to be a chef, <laughs> dude, I've been in Will's car since <laughs> be fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, and you got in the car, and the whole like you know how you like where you put your feet uh -huh. and the and you sit in the seat, the entire place that you put your feet was jack-in-the-box bags <laughs> up to like you're basically you would get in there and it was compressed jack-in-the-box mcdonald's bags that you would put your feet on and so your knees would sit up by your chin when you rode with will so. and now he's this uh, yeah. amazing chef i saw he had uh on his uh instagram this meatloaf that was full of cheese and it just looked amazing <laughs> that he made for the staff dude the and first time incredible. i saw like will pelly like it was like an article or something about him and i was like dude he's totally like i thought it was uh like a sasha baron cohen thing like he was gonna go, ah, i don't know anything about cooking so. and now he's just cooking for all these musicians yeah. and it's just uh yeah and he's does some catering he said he's catering for you guys oh, totally. for an upcoming show yeah dude i love that guy. that's cool man. crazy cuban dude what's your what's your favorite dish that he makes um, he, we had some Thai stuff and I know it's not his like usual, like the Mexican thing. Um, but I want to say we had some like, uh, some like tofu curry this year backstage. It was really good. I can't most of the, like Mark doesn't eat after five o'clock. I usually, the whole band goes to me ranchito around the corner and we get this chicken soup from me ranchito. That is the most amazing. Uh, I know. Miranchitos. Have you ever had their soup? Uh, yeah, I have once. My, my right. buddy Ricardo would eat that all the time. Yeah. It's, yeah, that it's was like half a chicken, like off the bone yeah. chicken and... Um, like some avocados. Oh, some yeah. Avocados, avocados and, yeah. And, and rice and tomatoes and all, like everything. It's, the whole kitchen is in there. And uh, and you just, and we eat that. There's like five or six of us that do it every night. Um, and we just sit there and eat the soup and get right. Cause you can't eat anything too, uh, you know, spicy mm -hmm. or too heavy, Yeah, or, you know, cause it's like seven o'clock and we got to play in an hour and you don't want anything too hefty. And then looking at, uh, all right. So Neptune crush and the one song that was on point essentials. And I always forget the name of it. It's the same thing when I was talking to Will, it's the, the song with the radio. Oh yeah. Well then we had another one on there. Or wait, was that? 
man, why can't I think of it? Dead Air. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dead, I love yeah. that song. Okay, mm-hmm. good. I'm not totally No, no, no. That, that was a Neptune Crush song. There yeah. was full-on Venus had a song on one of the other Point Essentials. Um, and I was trying to figure that all out. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, dude, Eric, uh, I still love uh, the stuff that he does now. Um, Eric and I were roommates, you know, forever. Just one of my best friends. Good guy. And his vocal style, because I just listening to it, it's, he sounds a lot like Brian. Uh, well, they to, to me now yeah. they, they came up to when we talk about that, like you play all the time and that's all you do. They yeah. they were in that band, you know. That's they were uh, inseparable for the better part of a of a decade. In the, they were in Neptune Crush. No, no, no. They were in Love. Oh. Eric, yeah, Love was Eric Lysett and Jeff Gallo, and um, and Brian. And uh, Brian Hodgkins, right? Brian Hoskins, yeah, Hoskins, yeah. Uh, Brian Russell, as he as he goes by these days. Okay. Um, And Brian, uh, I loved them. And again, they were they were three or four years younger than I was, or I thought at the time they seemed younger than I was, Um, but they're not that. (laughs) But they seemed like kids because I was already older. Anyway, I wanted to be in their band. And they were like, nah, this is after King of the Hill. And, yeah. and they were like, that guy's, you know, kind of had the stank on me. And <laughs> so they wouldn't let me be in their band. And then later down the line, uh, Eric and I wound up running into each other. And and Jeff and I were friends. And it all just kind of kind of worked out that that I was cool enough at some point to to play with them, I guess. <laughs> Uh, but that was yeah. that was love, and that's why Eric and Brian okay. have that right. thing is they learn how to sing together when they were kids. Okay, you know, so yeah, that's cool. So I'm getting a history lesson here, exactly. Which is super cool because yeah. I didn't get into the music scene until after college. Okay, which is weird. I was really focused on everything when I was mm. there, and just didn't, you know, always loved music, but it was mainly you know what I was listening to on the radio or CDs, a nice CD collection and all right. that. So I loved it, but just didn't go to live shows. Right, and then uh, when I was in college. Javier Mendoza played mm. and I was like oh wow this is amazing yeah and uh, just that that indie being right up there mm. where the musician you know you're a couple steps away yeah was, was Jim just, was Jim Peters playing guitar not at that point okay it was uh Perry was still in the band at that oh, okay. point because that was right before the step into my place album mm. um, and Jim great guy him and I became pretty good friends over oh, the dude, years and, yeah this is one of my favorite local guitar players that guy's in so many bands he's, and at least really, he used to really but yeah good. yeah he's yeah. just i mean the provels he's had so many projects mm-hmm. so i mean that's I a love, guy that's playing with, all the uh, time um what's Aunt, uh, emily's band um oh i know what you're talking about yes. but i i have not seen them emily um, wallace yeah her band i saw them with her and they were amazing they were great yeah, so he's amazing. So I saw Javier, and then I just uh, start hanging out with some different people, direct some music videos, and start the Firehouse. That was the one of the main <laughs> venues I went to, and I love that venue. That place was like cursed. <laughs> <laughs> In what ways? Oh, just, there were so many. Like that place was only around for so long. Oh, like the venue itself. Yeah, but there's yeah. so many great like things that happened there. Yeah. Um, uh, there was one. Heard a sh- about a show, and I wasn't there. Um, but it was Ulcer. You, you ever heard? Of oh Ulcer? yeah, yeah. And like Ulcer did this show there where they wound up pissing off the staff and the sound guy, and they tried to turn off the PA, and the band kept playing on the stage. So then they 
the staff then goes to the stage and cuts the power on the stage and then everybody in the band grabbed a drum and they like just kept <laughs> playing until like the club had to physically assault them to get them off the That's stage insane. kind of thing uh but there was stuff like that and like uh i don't know that was just a it was a weird time <laughs> i don't remember that's really about where i'm starting to bottom out at that point <laughs> down there so yeah, cool club. So it was nice to be a part of that experience. Mm. Um, you know, I miss Kennedy's. So that yeah. was that wasn't around when I got into the scene. That was uh, a good one. Yeah, or at least you know what, story. I, dude. Like that's if you're my age or four years older or four years younger, that was your spot. So if I, I'm sure that there's somebody that's ten years younger than me that is telling the same story. And their place was a totally different place, but it was just as important to them as Kennedy's was to us, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I just feel weird, like, because I don't know where that place is now, you know, because I'm not out. Like, then you yeah, were out, you were out yeah. six nights a week. You didn't, you never went home unless you had to go sleep, you know? So. And then, you know, another staple, Mississippi Nights, which, uh-huh. too bad it's... Like not even a main parking lot now. It's uh like yeah. the the backup parking. Now, did you ever go there when it was just half of the size? That it was? I did not. No, I, I caught it pretty late. Yeah, that was the first place. Like I'm trying to think of who I saw there. It was somebody metal? It was like uh, Alcatraz or and Rough Cut. I think that's what it was. <laughs> um, and showing my metal, uh, but it was ha- It was like there was the walkway. And then there was maybe five or ten feet to the left of uh-huh. that walkway, and that was it. That was yeah. the whole place. Um, and I, that, and when they made it big, uh, and did, I, th- I want to say capacity was there was maybe nine hundred. And I know I've been in there with mm-hmm. twelve hundred people, <laughs> you know. Um, and you know that place used to be a slaughterhouse. I had no idea. Yeah, that's wow. why it all goes downhill. Oh. Is the, yeah, that's. And it sounded like a slaughterhouse a lot of times in there. <laughs> it was a great place to play, and I really liked playing there, but it was never one of those, man, it just sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it could sound good, but it was never like a, um, you know, pristine sonic mm-hmm. environment. Yeah. But a great, I mean, I saw so much stuff there that was, um, I saw Patti Smith, uh, I saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Hallel. Nice. Uh, on the Uplift Mofo tour with Thelonious Monster and uh, Fishbone opening. And I'd never seen stage diving or anything before. And uh, Fishbone came on and they were chanting, you know, Fishbone, Fishbone, chant mm-hmm. for the band. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Fish. And by the time they got to Bone, the lights were out. Mm-hmm. And they turned on all the lights and three of the guys were already like in the air, like boom, and they mm-hmm. landed on everybody and i was just like what is going on here That's you know awesome. i did not get it and but i had a blast I was like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen so, yeah, yeah 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 i've never staged you know stage diver or yeah was, like that, it's but, not anything i would ever do and then nowadays though do not stage dive audience anybody out there mm. because people are so cruel they'll just they'll just part the red sea and yeah. you'll see somebody boom hit the ground it's yeah. it's crazy yeah Totally well, good. it's, it's, you know, it's... I mean, maybe that happened back in those days, too, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen people <laughs> not... It wasn't That's all horrible. like, hey, let's catch that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
Yeah, a buddy of mine, he um, he saw uh, Nirvana there before they mm-hmm. were Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Um, he saw uh, Soundgarden. Yeah, I saw I Soundgarden just, yeah. there um, when they still had uh, was it Asian guy? I think was a bass player, and I can't think of his name. Um, but I but it was before Ben was in the band. Um, so yeah, them. I saw them, and it was them and Grunt Truck and. Maybe like Alice in Chains. Ooh, yeah. You know, we were talking the other night about that that show at. Uh, we were talking about the American Theater, and it was Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. What a bill that is at the American oh, Theater. I like, like that venue. Oh yeah, it was that great. Was such a cool. But, I mean, that was know, it was small, but yeah, yeah it was intimate it was but great I mean, imagine yeah. like how fast tickets would go today if that was at yeah. a room that seated you know 1500 people or whatever 2000 so yeah it was it was bananas what a bill wow yeah. so. so then after um neptune crush it was nadine correct yes yes that was a big switch for old uncle jim there yeah it- I loved them. Yeah. I, I wanted to be in that band so bad. I had lit up from the inside their record. And I just, that was like an entire summer. You know, a lot of, a lot of my friends records. Um, I, it depends. I have ones that I still listen to all the time. I listen to Nadine records all the time. Um, and I'm not on any of them. Um, but, you know, other people give you a record and you're like, man, you know, I really like this and I really like this. But as like an album and a collection of songs that all kind of has a cohesive thread, like their records to me were really just amazing. And so I kept they would come into my guitar store back when I worked at uh, J Gravity and I would say, hey, man, you know, I really like you guys. And I have at this point, I have like still the jet black hair and, and painted fingernails and stuff. And, um, and I was like, I really like your band. If you ever want to, you know, <laughs> try, you know, a new guitar player, I'd love to play guitar. And the guy that was playing guitar is originally a keyboard player and only started playing guitar out of necessity says, well, let's see what happens. This is either going to be hilarious or it's, <laughs> you know, it's going to be something else. Yeah. And, um, and I went over and played with them, and they taught, uh, you know, they were nice enough to me, uh, and they were good enough people to give me a, a couple of swings and then say, hey, and, you know, maybe if this was a little more like this or whatever, because I was learning something that I'd never done before. And I could play the guitar good, but I had never played the guitar like that. Um, and I've always found that I love doing stuff like that. That makes me uncomfortable. That makes me work. Uh, that makes me try. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nadine was a perfect, you know, perfect place for me to do that. And the, again, a really encouraging, nice, good bunch of humans, you know, to push you along in the right way. So it was cool. Very cool. And how did that experience getting out of your comfort zone, learning those new things, how did that help you when you then you know when you then start putting your energy into the incurables uh was it was huge because there was a part of me uh i had sucked some dna out of them you know uh and i had i had and i i think anybody that plays with anybody that they respect you walk away with with a little part of what you respected about them you know and it makes it uh, it becomes part of your thing, um, and so when I left them, 
and I didn't leave them. The band just kind of disintegrated. Um, after that happened, I had a bit of the playbook of how I wanted things to be, you know, sonically and, and what I kind of wanted the, the incurables to be about. And, um, and that's, that's, that's where it all started. And before the incurables, had you ever been a front man or had you, had you written lyrics? Had you, I had a lot of the old King of the Hill songs. Okay. I, I wrote either like parts of the, like I would write all the songs with words and then Frank would then was allowed not allowed but like he was a singer so he yeah, had yeah. to like what he was singing and if he didn't like what i wrote he could write whatever he wanted okay um but there would be snippets of what i had written that would be in things so yeah i'd written lyrics um i'd never been at that time the things that i liked lyrically were shitty like i didn't get i hadn't gotten you know bob dylan yet and i hadn't gotten uh leonard cohen and you know paul simon and like all these other things that i had gotten from when i start from later after you know my the youth and the yeah, it shows you can't yeah you can teach an old dog new oh, totally. so it's, and it's yeah, good well, you can not, always learn you know as it's, as long as you keep your ears open yeah and that was, I have, I work in a music store and it happens all the time where you'll hear, you know, a guy come in my age, pick up a guitar and the first thing he plays is like, you know, ain't talking about love or like something that he mm-hmm. learned when he was 16 years old. And that's like the, where he's, mm-hmm. that's what he likes. That's what he does. And that's it. And, uh, um, it, I always wanted to keep trying to get better. And I think once you think that it's either, you know, once you think that you've already gotten there, then it's okay if that's all you want and you can, you can stop wherever you want. That's one of the beauties of music is take out of it Mm -hmm. what you need. Um, But for me, it was always, I want to, to just learn and, Mm -hmm. and and I hope I continue to be a better musician and a better person. Cause I think the both of those go, pretty hand in hand like i i know amazing musicians that are crappy people um but i know uh very few crappy people that are just good people to be around and and play music Mm -hmm. with um and a lot of those that goes a long way Mm -hmm. like you have to be really 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 good nowadays <laughs> you know for people to not go you know what i'm going to kill this guy at a truck stop um so yeah it's it's not fun to be around and nobody wants that so just be a good person and you'll play good music with good people and that's all you need right on so so then when you were defining the style of the incurables so that was just at that point that was that culmination of how, what was it about 20 years of yeah. playing so yeah mm-hmm. that's a, a nice point to yes. start a new thing and to, you know really evolve mm-hmm. yeah and be i was more grown up and um i had a better idea of what i wanted to do and what i wanted to be as a um the, back in the old days there was no forethought to you know we just went and did it and went fast mm-hmm. and there was no like thinking about 
what our image might be or a legacy or anything like that. There was no, it was like, this is what we're doing. We're doing it fast. We're mm-hmm. going, you know? Um, so yeah, to have, um, I think another big thing about it is there is a stunted growth curve as a human being. If from the time you're 18 years old, the entire world says you're the like mm-hmm. the, you're the coolest person in the whole world so like keith richards never had that know what dude you're not cool at all <laughs> go hammer that thing into the, or you know <laughs> go fit this pipe or go you know here's a shovel go dig up that tree like he ne- that never happened to him okay so he's had this like he's still 18 he's an old man but inside he never yeah. had that where you get your teeth kicked out and you got to go back to square one and figure it out again. Um, and I feel like people that have been through that almost have, uh, you know, granted, you got to have Keith Richards's in the whole world. We need them desperately. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but there's a different, I think there's a different depth for people that that have been through you know stuff um like uh you're familiar with dave Garelli, <clears throat> the uh, keyboard guy uh dave plays on all the incurables records okay and uh, he plays with me in celebration day and we play together in kevin bowers Nova. okay yeah, yeah i've seen him yeah, but yeah i don't know amazing, him well yeah amazing uh dave um was always one of my favorite people to play with and way his concept of music is way far and above what I'll ever understand. But uh, he had a horrible accident about two years ago. He was hit by a car um, and yeah. like, I mean, like, like almost killed uh-huh. uh, months and months of and years of rehabilitation. Yeah. He's still hurting. Oh, shit. And, um, but my point on this is we were doing a gig together and I was with another friend of mine who knows him very well. Uh, who was playing bass in the gig. Um, and Dave played a solo, and it was one of the, like, it was 40 seconds, and he couldn't play a note of it now. He has no idea what he did, but it was just this perfect moment of music inside of a, another piece of music. And I said to my friend, I go, man, I would never wish what happened to him to happen to anyone, mm-hmm. much less him. Yeah. But he's almost, be- like, there's a part of his playing that is almost has more depth because he's been to that yeah, yeah. place, you know? And I, I, I can, when you have someone that's that talented, that can speak that fluently with music, um, part, that part of, of you, you know, just well, it's a feeling. And that's like the that. thing, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't play, I, I can't play music and I haven't, it's not something that I have pursued. I love music. But yeah, that's it's more of a feeling. It comes out. Mm. So therefore, he went through that experience, and now those right. emotions of that of experience are coming yeah. out of him. And that's, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Yeah. Um. It, what, what about like as far as music being a spiritual experience? What do you feel when you're on that stage? When you're at a, you know, performing Celebration Day or El Monstero at uh, at the amphitheater, and you have these large crowds? Mm. How, how does that tell people that may not have ever felt something like that? What what it what it is oh, to experience it it's it's i mean uh 
you know, there's a rush and a wave that like comes back from you when you when you're communicating like that. Uh, and there's that many people, and then the amount of them that are getting it, and it sounds so hippie. And I hate hippies, <laughs> and I'm not a hippie at all. <laughs> but there is a, you know, uh, there is a a communication and a uh, some kind of glow or there's a warmth uh-huh. that that is you know transmitted um and it's great and like i said we've had you know i've seen people uh at elmon gigs just like having a moment just crying you know or just looking up and screaming and you know just things like that that you'd catch out of the corner of your eye when you have that many people and um and it, again, it's not for us. We're just making that noise that that makes them mm-hmm. feel that thing, you know. But, but it's a collective experience. It, you yeah, know, you you need that audience. The audience needs. I mean, there's so many elements. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so much. That's the cool thing about being in a band or being a part of a team. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. is and especially in a band, like as a filmmaker, there's certain things I can do on my own and pull mm-hmm. it off. Right. But for something that I think to really be magical is having all those components oh, and everybody totally. putting that energy in. And then it's, mm-hmm. you know, just, just what, what happens is just magic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's just one thing I've always admired about musicians mm-hmm. is that you need those various parts and that different spirit and that, all that energy for something to really be amazing. Oh, yeah. Dude, I tell kids all the time. I used to do um, a thing called Camp Jam, which was one of the first... Uh, like rock and roll camps yeah, I think for Eric, kids. Eric Grossman told me about that yeah. at one point. Yeah, Eric. Uh, Eric was my bass instructor uh, quite a few years, um, and I would tell all those kids, "This is when you have you have to do this now. Like you should be by the time." And these some of these kids were young, but I was mm-hmm. like, "By the time you're 18 years old, you should be in a band, and you should get in a van, and you should go." And don't worry about anything until you're like 20. Like college is going to be there. You can always go back to college, do whatever. But if you don't do this right now, if you really want to do this, this is when you go play music every night, sleep on a floor. Uh You have no money. You will eat whatever you can get your hands on. And it will be the greatest Uh time of your whole life. Um, Because if you look at the bands that we still to this day, like when you think of all the great bands... They're dudes that were playing together when they were kids. The Beatles, U2, um, you know, Led Zeppelin, uh, all these. There's there's a bunch of them that were, and that's what made the Rolling Stones, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like all, all these things where these kids learned how to do it together and they had created this voice that was unique to themselves. Um and that's that beauty time when no one's told you you're wrong, uh, you haven't been disproven, uh, and you can do exactly what you want to do and say and feel, and and have the that type of thing come out of it. You know, at that age, at that point. Yeah. That was great advice. I'm hoping. You know, I've had my nephew in drum lessons, and he did pretty well. But mm-hmm. outside of le- and he was really jazz when he was in lessons but then he didn't practice but yeah. he's still he's 12 right now so he still has a little bit of time yeah i didn't start but, till i was 12 okay but then when i started like 
uh, and different people are a totally different. Uh, that's why everybody plays different. As you know, people get it in different ways. Um, but after I started playing, that was the only thing I did. I didn't come out of my room pretty much between like twelve and sixteen. And my mom like would make me go out. So Jimmy, will you please go outside? <laughs> it's so it's such a wonderful day. <laughs> and then she was probably sick of hearing me, you know, wank around up there. So well, you always had that on the, the King of the Hill. Uh, all the photos on the record, you you look so pale. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, we did not see a lot of dude. Then we'd never like we I we would go to bed at seven or eight in the morning. And get up at four or five, and eat, and go back out. <laughs> All right. Oof. Yeah. Good times. Yes. When we look at, um, I mean, this is good. It's been amazing. This is history and learning. Some some bands I've heard of, others, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't experienced. So it's kind of it's really cool to just the knowledge I have to kind of paint the picture yeah. in my head of all these other experiences. So that's been amazing. Well, well, you'd mentioned legacy. What, what do you see your legacy as? Um, I don't know. I, it's hard. I just, that I was a, I was a good guitar player, um, and a good performer and, I don't know. This is really weird. I don't know. It's hard to... Oh, no worries. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, I just... That's a tough one. Yeah. Without sounding like, you know how I think I am. Um, I don't know. I just like to be known as a, as a good musician and a good guy. You know, that people liked me um, when I played as much as when I didn't play. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you've achieved that. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of times it's how others see us versus how we see ourselves. Right. And and when I look at you, totally, you know, from the first time that I met you, uh, it's like, that dude's a rock star. <laughs> and a lot of times it's not, you know, my definition of rock star. It's right. not so much yeah. being up there on the stage, but somebody that's really lived their life, lived their dream, took that chance, yeah. and just and lives with passion. I could do that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. good. So you're totally, you know, <laughs> in my eyes, you'll always be that rock star, man, the first rock star I ever met. And so it's, it's awesome, man. Thank you for Thanks. taking the time. And no really, problem. really appreciate you, brother. You can outrun the things you've done. Hellhounds know.
So